0: I'm sure that there are some in here who are fans of the television show The Voice. Uh, I don't know how many watch it, but if you don't watch it, let me just summarize uh, the idea. The Voice is a TV show where unknown singers who want to be known audition before a panel of famous judges. Now what separates The Voice from some other shows like it is that in the initial audition phase... The judges have their backs to the singers. So they can't judge them based on what they look like or their clothes. All they hear is the voice. So they listen to the voice, and if they like what they hear, they hit a little button, they turn their chair around, and they say, I want that singer on my team because I think that guy or that girl is going to win this competition or could win this competition. Now, the show gets exciting at times because uh, often more than one judge will turn around and they'll compete to have one of these singers on their team. It also can be awkward if somebody sings their heart out and nobody turns around and they're on national television and they have that moment of going, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Uh, but in the beginning of this fall season last week, there were two singers who stood out where all four of the judges pressed their button. And of course, uh, Because it's television, they saved those singers to the end of each night. Uh, One of them was a man named James David Carter who uh, was singing country music. Uh, The other was a woman named Maya Sykes who was singing pop and soul type of music. And for both of those singers, the judges hit their buttons and they turned around. And as they sang, as these two people we'd never heard of before sang, all of a sudden out of their mouths came this voice that was clear, that was in perfect tone, that was emotional for the song and it was just wonderful. And you thought, man, what a great opportunity that these people have for overnight success, right? All of a sudden, everything that they have hoped for for their lives might be coming true. Now, it would be easy to think this happened to them in an instant, right? Because of the nature of the TV show. But if you followed their stories closely, you find out that both of them, James David Carter and Maya Sykes, have actually been practicing for years. In some cases, decades. One of them said uh, James David Carter had been playing clubs and opening for bands for 12 years in Atlanta before he hit this moment. Maya Sykes had been singing all her life. She said, if you got married in California and you are Armenian, if you got married in the last 10 years, I probably sang your wedding. She's been singing weddings. She's been teaching voice lessons. She's been cultivating her voice and her craft. And as I saw that, I thought, what would have happened if these people who have this God given ability never did anything with it? If they were born with this natural ability to sing like angels and they just sat on it or buried it. Now, it's fascinating, in their case, they may have all kinds of motives for wanting to be on this show, to be well known. Maybe they want to be famous pop stars. It may be they want money. They want power. They want prestige. Whatever it may be, it may be they like entertaining people. But many of the motivations of those who come on the show, of course, are worldly. They want to be known. They want to be famous. They want to be liked. And so they work for years and years and years and they cultivate this ability so they can get to that place. And as I thought about that, I thought, how many of us have gifts and abilities that God has given us that we can use to further His kingdom? Not to be used for worldly ends and yet we sit on them how many of us have resources God has given that we're not using for the furtherance of his kingdom so that people can know Jesus Christ and grow closer to him think for just a moment about all of the different gifts and resources that God has given you maybe it is a natural ability of some kind Maybe you're an artist, maybe you're an athlete, maybe you're you're a musician. Maybe it is your personality draws people in. Maybe it is you've got a house, you've got some financial resources. Whatever it is that God has given you, the scripture calls us to recognize that it came from his hand and we're called to develop it and use it for the good of his kingdom. Yet I think we face a couple of opposing errors when we think about all the resources God has given. One is to uh, get boastful and proud to say, I'm going to take what I've been given because I am smart, because I am intelligent, because I am strong, because I have a great personality. I'm going to take what I've been given and I'm going to use the gifts God gave me to build my own kingdom. So people will follow me. So people will know my name. That's one error. The other error is to look around and say, you know what? Somebody else has more than I do. Somebody else was born with more talent, better looking, more money. And so, you know what? What I have to contribute isn't all that great and so I'm just gonna sit on it. And so we come in week after week after week and instead of contributing to the body of Christ with all he's given, we don't. We bury what God has given. As we look at 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 this morning, we're gonna see that Paul was concerned about both of those errors in the Corinthian church. Because if you remember, the Corinthian church was a place where they tended to follow the attitude of their culture and their culture said, look, if you've got it, then flaunt it. If you are powerful, if you are eloquent, if you are wise, then you go out in the marketplace and you preach or you teach and you gather a following to yourself. If you are not those things, then you just follow along and you don't have anything to contribute. And so Paul is concerned about both of those errors in the Corinthian church. Because men and women were not recognizing what is the fundamental issue at the heart of their sin, which is this, that God gave everything that we have. And he wants us to simply use it faithfully. God gave everything we have and he wants us to use it faithfully. And so Paul sees this church vying for attention, boasting about, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow. Cephas, I follow. Jesus, and he says, what God has called you to do is not divide into factions, not follow the strongest, not listen to the wisdom of the world, but take what God has given you and build up the body of Christ. And that theme is going to work its way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And the antidote that Paul provides us, ultimately, to these attitudes of hoarding our gifts we're using our gifts to build ourselves up, the antidote he provides is found in the fact that we will all stand in judgment before Jesus Christ. That God will one day judge every Christian, me, you, everybody in this room, we will be judged on the basis of how we've been faithful. And so when we know that, you're not going to stand before Jesus Christ and say, hey, do you know how great I am? Look at me nor are you gonna stand before Jesus Christ and be able to say, yeah, you just didn't give me enough to start with. And Paul says, all of us will be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ, not based on what you had to begin with, but based on what you did with what God has given. That's 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 that we're gonna look at this morning. So start in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. The main idea that Paul is going to present to us is this. God gave us everything we have, and he calls us to be faithful with it. God gave us everything we have, and he calls us to be faithful with it. Now, where he starts in this argument is with this simple statement that God owns everything— but he lets us share. Okay? God owns everything, but he lets us share. What that means is everything you have, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's wisdom, whether it's a house, whether whatever it is, everything you have, God owns it. And he's just letting you share it. When my middle daughter, Abigail, was about two, one night we were sitting at the kitchen table and my wife had made macaroni and cheese which was Abigail's favorite at that time of her life. She just loved that meal. And uh, Shannon began to dish some food out onto her plate. And after she put a little bit onto her plate, realized, I think I've given her too much. So she began to take some of it back from Abigail's plate and put it back on her own plate. And Abigail looked over and goes, hey. And Shannon goes, what? She goes, hey, that's Abigail's. That's Abigail's mac and cheese, right? And at that moment, she felt a deep sense of ownership over what was not hers. And here's what I mean. What's the appropriate response in that sort of moment? You say, no, 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 no. It's not actually Agile's macaroni and cheese. Let me explain why. Uh, We bought it. We fixed it. Look around you, child. Where you are sitting (laughs) is part of the domain of mommy and daddy. This is our kingdom and we allow you to live here, to eat our food, to use the resources that we have provided. It's not Agail's; It's ours, and we're sharing. I wonder how often we take the same attitude toward God with the things he has given us. My house, my job, my position of leadership, my ability to speak, to sing, to talk, my personality that I grace you with. And God says, nope. Look around you. This whole world is mine. You're mine. Your money is mine. Your house is mine. Your gifts are mine. Everything you have is because I gave it to you. And so you don't boast as if he did not give it. Paul's going to say that as we move forward into 1 Corinthians 4 in a moment. But instead, he says this. Everybody in the church, including the teachers and leaders we all belong to one another. He says, Look, you you talk about Apollos and Cephas and you align yourselves with them. And uh, in the Corinthian culture, these teachers and leaders would act as if they owned you. And Paul says, No, it's just the opposite. Teachers and leaders are nothing more than servants and stewards in the body of Christ who are called to be faithful. You, as a member of the body of Christ, have gifts and resources and abilities and all of these things God has given. And God gave them to you. And because of your connection to Jesus Christ, you own the gifts and the resources that are pooled in this room. So we all are called to give them away and share them with one another. That's the idea. The only reason you have anything in God's economy is because of your connection to Jesus. Because you're connected to Jesus, you now have something to offer the body of Christ. Many years ago... Shannon and I were invited to a concert in Dallas in Reunion Arena. And it just so happened that the people who invited us had some friends who owned one of these corporate boxes. And so we got to sit in this corporate box during the concert. And as we sat there, I thought, boy, this is the way to watch a concert, right? It's quiet. You've got these plush seats. You're not disturbed by the peasants down on the floor, right? You can overlook them, hear the music perfectly. There's food served to you. It was great. But I also thought this... We couldn't afford to be here. The only reason we are sitting here is because we're connected to someone who's connected to somebody who must be important and owns this thing. And Paul says the resources you have, you have because God owns everybody. And because you're connected to Jesus, every teacher, every building, every dime, every talent, all of it belongs. To us, And we bring it and we lay it at the feet of Jesus because the resources belong to God. So you take everything you've been given and use it so that people can know who Jesus Christ is and how to follow him. If you're a teacher, you belong to the church. If you're hospitable, if you're gracious, if you've got a wonderful personality, you belong to the church. If you're an athlete, you belong to the church. If you're intelligent, you belong to the church. If you have a position of authority, you belong to the church. And Paul says, all of these things are yours in Jesus Christ. And so we bring them together and we pool our resources and we come serve him with what he's given When I was in high school, sometimes I would go out to restaurants with a number of friends, 10, 12, 15 people at a time, and this was back before many restaurants accepted debit or credit cards, and also before many restaurants would let you divide the check. So it was cash only, and you had to pay all together. Now with high school students, often what would happen is we would get together, we would eat, and then after we ate, there would always be a few people who would toss in less than they owed, and then leave. So the rest of the group was left to kind of sort this out. And we had to act as a team, an angry team, right? Because of the people who left. But we would pull out our money and we had to participate as if we were all one person. And the goal was get out of here without having to wash dishes, right? We'd put all our money in the center and see if it would make up enough. Paul says, similarly, in the body of Christ, you have resources. I don't have, I have resources. You don't have, and we all bring them together to serve Jesus. Now, some of you may be thinking, that sounds like communism, right? It is not communism, and here's why. (laughs) Because in communism, theoretically, nobody owns anything, right? Everything is part of the collective. The difference here is that actually in the body of Christ, somebody does own it all, but there's one owner, and he's let us use it all. And so, we give it back to him. God owns everything, And he lets us share. Everything you have came from his hand. And Paul goes on then to say this. Not only does he let us share, but he will judge us based on our faithfulness rather than our ability. He will judge us based on our faithfulness rather than our ability. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself." Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? right, so what's going on is these men and women in Corinth are judging according to the standards of the world. And Paul is not talking about uh, lacking discernment. He's not saying don't ever try to discern what's true and what's false. Instead, here's what he's saying is you are judging by the standards of the world. There was this huge cult of personality going on in Corinth. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It happens in our cultural context too. The guys who could speak the best, who were the most eloquent, who were the wisest, they would flock to and they would say those people must be approved of by God. And those who seem weak or quieter or have less to come to the table must not be. And Paul says, stop it. Because the basis on which you are judged is, are you faithful with what God has given? Are you faithful with what God has given? I have a confession to make. It is this. Uh, I was never good at basketball. I know that might shock some of you in here, but... uh, I never was. You may look at me and think, man, he was. I know he was, but I was not. Uh, In fact, I was not great uh, either at football or most things involving a ball, right? I played some sports when I was young, but I found out very quickly that there was a certain level of natural ability that one had to have to really advance through the ranks in the sports world, right? Now, if you had that natural ability, you could work, you could cultivate it, you could try hard, and you could advance. But if you didn't have this natural ability, you were going to be separated out at some point. Many things in life are like that. If you want to be a pilot, you've got to have at least a certain degree of good eyesight. At least I hope. If you want to be a neurosurgeon, you've got to have a certain base level of intelligence, right? If you want to be a professional singer, you have to be able to hear to a certain extent, and you have to have a degree of natural ability. Many things in life are like that, and they should be. But what Paul says is this, that God gave all of these gifts, all of these resources to us, and he doesn't judge actually based on what you start with. But instead, he judges based on how faithful are you with what you have. So the way that God judges is not necessarily the way that the world works. And again, I think we face these two errors. One is to say, I look over here and I see somebody else who started with more than me. And so I don't have anything to contribute. Or we look and we say, wow, I've got a lot more than everybody else, and I'm going to boast. Not all of us in here started at the same place. That may not feel fair, but it is reality. Not everybody has the same gifts or resources. Not everybody is a genius. Not all of us in this room are very good looking. I'm so sorry to say that to you. I know you didn't come in to be insulted, but the reality is not everybody in this room is athletic. Not everybody in this room has money. Not everybody in this room has a whole lot of extra time at this stage in their life. And so it's easy to look and compare and say, what I bring is not as important. So I will simply attach myself to those who have more and just follow them quietly. Or on the other hand, to say, I've got a lot, so I am going to take over this place. And Paul says, neither error, is going to work in the kingdom of God. You will stand before Jesus one day and be evaluated based on your faithfulness. Not where you began, but how you ran the race. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians and flip over to Luke chapter 19 for a moment. Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 12. This is a famous parable from Jesus. Luke 19 verse 12. So Jesus said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be an authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. And another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest." Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, master, he has 10 minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. In the parable, each guy is judged, but notice he's not judged on the basis Of what he started with. In fact in Luke. All of them start with the same amount. One mina. They're judged based on what they did. With the mina they were given. The parable in Matthew actually. They're given different amounts. And they're judged based upon. How they manage what they're given. Whether you have the same as somebody. Or you have a different amount than somebody. You're just going to be called to be faithful. Not to boast. Not to bury. I saw a video not too long ago of an experiment some researchers did where they set up a monopoly game with two players and what they did is they rigged the game. They gave one player a lot more money and a lot more resources at the beginning of the game and the other guy had a lot less. And then they filmed the game and they watched it. And of course, as you'd expect, the one with more money almost always won. But they weren't studying who won and who lost. Instead, they wanted to see how did the players act toward each other when they were given more to start with. And what they found was shortly after the game began, the ones who had more to begin with got ruder and ruder. And more boastful and arrogant about their ability to play the game. Now, it's interesting... uh, They were given a rigged game, right? But they immediately assumed the reason I'm winning, I must be better. They even knew that the game was rigged, but they jumped to that conclusion. They put a bowl of peanuts between the two players and they found that the guy who had more money would grab more of them and eat them. And the guy who had less was timid and didn't want to step in and he was afraid and kind of meek. And this guy over here who had more would say, boy, you're you're not very good. You're going to lose. And it illustrates this principle, which is it's so easy for us to forget that all that we have has been given to us. And we get boastful and we get proud. On the other hand, some of us look and say, I don't have what he has. And we're timid and we back up and we don't allow the body of Christ to share in the gifts that God has given. He's simply calling you to be faithful. It may be that you have a home and you eat meals right and you can share that with somebody maybe you're hospitable you can sign up for something like adopt an aggie or a conversation partner it may be that you have resources you can give I remember when I was uh, serving in the college ministry here there was a student leader one day he said you know I I don't have a whole lot that I can contribute he didn't have a whole lot of money but he said I love to help people move And we were like, that's great, man. Please do, because we all hate that, right? (laughs) So please, help people move, right? And so he would show up. He would be the first one to show up and help other students move and help freshmen move into their dorms and share the love of Jesus Christ because he was tall and strong and liked to help people move. For those who are a little bit older in the congregation, I know often as the students begin to come back in town, we go, man, they're taking my parking place. Right, And my seat here, right? I've got a seat I've sat in for 27 years. And some freshmen sat there, right? <laughs> and they're taking my space. And maybe they're not giving as much money right now because they don't have it. My encouragement is next time you feel that way, go walk down the nursery hall and see who's taking care of your children. Look at the list of our missionaries sometime and see where the missionaries emerged from almost to a person, it was from the college ministry, said, I don't have a lot of money, but I've got a couple years and I can go share Jesus. All of us come in with differing resources and differing abilities and differing things to give. And together, we pool what we have for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ so people can know Him. So you're not called to have a whole lot of ability to start, but instead you will be judged based on your faithfulness. And then Paul says that God will reward faithfulness in his way and in his timing. Look at verses eight and forward. You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless, and we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world and the dregs of all things even until now. Paul says the problem in the Corinthian church was this. They wanted their rewards right now and in their way. So when they brought their abilities, when they brought their resources, or when they followed these teachers, they would puff themselves up and they would say, we are kings, we are queens, and we deserve Praise and power and authority and honor right now in our way. And Paul says that's not the way the economy of God works for servants of Jesus Christ. And in fact, the apostles, the ones whose names were known across the ancient church, they served, they suffered, and they delayed their reward until they stand before Jesus Christ. Your reward May not come now. And it won't come in worldly terms. But in the way and the timing that God chooses. So Paul says we don't grasp at rewards now. I don't know if you've ever tried to take a reward or manipulate a reward system. Maybe you're an expert in fishing for compliments, right? You show up at work with a new shirt and you're like, I like your shirt, right? (laughs) Hoping maybe... Someone will say, I like your hair. Your hair is great, right? Look at mine. Maybe you reward yourself after you feel you've done something good, right? I ran a quarter mile. I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat a large pizza right now, (laughs) That's my reward. I reward myself. It's interesting. We do that, don't we? We want rewards. We want to be noticed. We want to be praised. We want to be loved for what we do. And as you look through the scripture, the amazing thing is that that is a natural desire. And in fact, the Bible talks about it a lot. The the deal is that we will be rewarded, but in God's way and in God's timing. You want to be rewarded right now. Jesus says this about the Pharisees and the teacher of the law. If you want to be noticed, if you want your praise, if you want the applause, there's your reward. Congratulations. But in the economy of God, he says, one day you will stand before Jesus Christ and your reward will not look like worldly rewards. There's a great parable in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus talks about a owner of some land and guy goes out in the morning and around nine o'clock and he hires some people, some workers for his land And he contracts with them. Will you work for the day? And I'll pay you a denarius. That is a day's wage. They go, sure. They sign on. They go to work. Around noon, the landowner goes out again. And around three, he goes out again. And he recruits more people. And they sign on to work. And then around five o'clock, which is about an hour before the workday would have ended, he goes out again and he recruits some more people. And they work for just an hour. So you got a group that has worked all the way through the day nine hours. And then you got another group that works for an hour at the end. It comes time for them to be paid and they all get the same amount. And naturally, the ones who started at the beginning, they say, hey, that's not fair. It's not fair. We bore the heat of the day and these people showed up literally in the 11th hour is what it says in Matthew 20. The last hour of the workday and you paid them the same. The Landowner says, hey, look, If I want to be generous with my money, what is that to you? You signed on to work for a denarius. Have I wronged you? In no way. If I want to pay him the same as you, what is that to you? Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. And the idea behind this parable is ultimately this, that you will not be judged based upon how long you worked. You will not be judged based upon the starting point, but upon your faithfulness in the work. All of us one day will stand at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ as Christians to be evaluated. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. I think Blake read this passage last week, but I want to look at it again quickly. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. But no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Paul says all of us, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, he's going to say all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now I want to be clear, this is not a judgment to determine whether you go to heaven or to hell. If you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you need to know there's no way you can have eternal life apart from simply trusting in what he has given, and that is that Jesus died to pay the penalty of your sin and your rebellion against God, and he rose again. He defeated sin and death, and all who believe in him, eternal life is a free gift. But Paul also says that as Christians, we will stand before Jesus Christ and be evaluated. And as you look throughout the New Testament, there are rewards for those who take what they've been given and simply serve faithfully. In Luke 19, as we looked at it, one of the rewards is the opportunity to be delegated some authority in the kingdom of God, to reign alongside Jesus. Paul talks about crowns that we throw at the feet of Jesus, that we will be able to praise him fully. I think one of the greatest that the scripture mentions is praise from the lips of Jesus. That will stand before him and hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. That may not sound like a lot because you can't hold it in your hands, but I guarantee you at that moment, as you stand before Jesus, nothing else will matter. Because the words of God are eternal and they last forever. And to hear his praise ring in your ears for eternity is a reward that cannot be replaced by anything on the earth. And so God says, All you're called to do is take what I've given and develop it, cultivate it, utilize it for the kingdom of God, simply to be faithful, simply to be faithful. We don't steal or claim rewards before the time, but we wait for the mercy and the grace of God at his coming. I want us to think for just a couple of minutes as we close, and here's what I want us to ponder. What are the resources, abilities, gifts that God has given you? As you sit here this morning, what are those things that God has given you? Some talent, some physical provision, something about your personality that draws people in so they can know him, time, maybe you don't have a lot of money, but you've got some time, you've got a healthy body. Maybe you've got a healthy marriage and you can help other marriages that are struggling. What is it that God has given you as you sit here? I would even challenge you as you go throughout this week, sometime this week, just sit down and make a list of those things God has provided. You'll find yourself praising him for his kindness and thanking him for his gifts, but you also might find yourself convicted that everything you have is to be used so people can know him. So people can grow deeper in their walk with Jesus. So people will worship him. Everything we have, God gave. And he calls us to be faithful. Are you being faithful then to cultivate and use wisely those things God has given? As you hear the various opportunities, in fact, that are presented here to serve the body of Christ. Something like conversation partners. We have a line of students waiting simply to meet an American, and get to know him. A line of people who are waiting to hear about what your life is like, who you are, it's a great opportunity to share Jesus. Right? There are opportunities to serve in the nursery. There are opportunities to serve in virtually every capacity. If you have a resource, I guarantee you it can be used for the kingdom of God. And if we don't have a built-in opportunity Right here, some program or something, come talk to one of the pastors and let us help you. Brainstorm ways to utilize that for the kingdom of God. What is it that God has given you and are you being faithful to cultivate it and use it wisely for his purposes because we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and face an evaluation. And our prayer is that every one of us in this room will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You took what you had, small or large. And you multiplied it by the grace of God through the power of his spirit so that his name could be known. I'm going to pray and then Chris McGuffey is going to come up and provide us some more ways that we can participate and use our resources and gifts for the body of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what it has to say to us that we are convicted as well as encouraged that... Um, We're encouraged that even though we may not have as much seemingly to offer, you still want what we have. We're also convicted that if we do have a lot, we don't want to boast, we don't want to bury our gifts, but we want to use them for your kingdom, for your glory. Lord, you are so good and we thank you for this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: We want to thank you guys for coming to worship with us this morning, and I'm so excited about the message this morning because Matt helped us to understand a great and proper motivation for reaching out to the community in terms of having a good stewardship with what the Lord has given us. And I want to point out a couple opportunities this morning on how we might be able to connect with those. So first off, if you look up on the screen, we have Adopt an Aggie every year for I don't know how many years. We've been adopting these guys and girls that come as freshmen to A&M, and we still have about 25 students that would love to connect with a family from our church and are just waiting. They're just waiting for your call. It's just low-hanging fruit out there waiting, and so it's pretty exciting. If you guys have an, uh, an interest in that, go online, and there's a, a little form to fill out, and you can uh, get paired up with somebody. And begin a relationship with somebody that is kind of separated from their home or away from uh, their family while they're here at school. And they can have a great place to connect. Similarly, if you guys remember from the uh, International Student Furniture Giveaway, we had about 300 students that came through that opportunity. And a bunch of them indicated that one of the things that they would love to do is to have an opportunity to connect with an American family. To have a meal in an American home. As you guys have heard me say before, over 90% of international students that come to America never make it into the home of an American. And I think that that's pretty sad. So one of the things we're going to do just out in the foyer today, there are some opportunities for you to sign up. It's a one-off deal. You can uh, be matched up with an international student and do a meal, or you can have an ongoing relationship with uh, one or two international students throughout the next uh, few weeks. Uh, as they're here studying in graduate school, it's a great opportunity, as we talked about before, to make a first impression for students that have come here to study. Okay, Have some opportunities to share about your spiritual life with them. If more uh, of your bag is to uh, do uh, kind of conversation, help people to learn how to speak Better English. I know, you know, for some of us as Texans, we're a little fearful. Is that right? You know, are they going back overseas and talking like we are now? It's kind of rough. But hey, we're, we're going to help out the best that we can. Uh, you can go to friendsinamerica.com or you can uh, check out some of our opportunities to be involved uh, with the conversation partners. One other opportunity that we have over by the doorway as you guys leave, uh, or college work projects. Now, we've already had a bunch of college students sign up and they have their gloves on, they're holding their shovels. They are waiting for families to show up and say, I need the weeds out of my flower bed, okay? Or I need four pallets of grass laid in my backyard or whatever it is at your house that you need done. What we do is we arrange that. You can see the dates that are up there, October 4th and November the 8th. And uh, if you will host a a work group that comes for a, a, a service project, the donations that you make all go to offset the expenses of our college missions programs, okay? So it's a pretty exciting time if you want to go out there. Again, as you think about the stewardship that God has given you, for most of you, you've got to get home. Most of you, you're cooking some kind of food. Invite somebody in, right? Invite them in and help them to experience that. This morning, we didn't have a bulletin. Did that throw anybody off? Well, it's okay. If you'll download our app at Grace Bible Texas, okay, you'll be able to find all the connection points that are there. We're gonna continue to have bulletins in the future, but don't sweat it this morning. Get the new app, choose Southwood as your location, look everything up, you'll be able to find it, no problem. As we dismiss this morning, stand up, meet somebody next to you, have a conversation, and y'all have a great day as you go and sign up.